The following podcast contains adult subject matter. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everybody, welcome to this interview episode of Thinking Outside the Long Box. Of course, it is me, Gabe, uh, the uh, in-house interviewer. I got caught up in what I was saying last time, so I'm going to try not to do that again. But today, we have on the line with us Bruce Davis, and uh, we're going to be talking to him about his truly riveting voice acting in uh the vast of night which you have uh listened to us talk about on the show very recently bruce how are you today man i'm doing all right gabe how are you i am doing pretty well a little hot here but doing pretty good (laughs) yeah it's been pretty hot i've been getting some fishing in but uh cooled off just a little bit today i think it's about 87 degrees yeah. In Oklahoma City. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound very cool, and it's about the same here. So. <laughs> well, compared to, the, compared to 99, it is. <laughs> yeah, this is true. This A is true. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, right. Bruce, first off, let me ask you, how did you uh, get involved with uh, The Vast of Night? Well, I, I met uh, um, Andrew Patterson in an interview uh, uh, for a uh, print ad. And on my resume, I had uh, one um, one movie credit. It was a short film, and in that particular film, I had a uh, long monologue. So he asked me, "What did what I what what did I do on the film?" And instead of telling him what I did, I just recited the monologue. And he was like, "Wow, I didn't know we had that kind of talent here in Oklahoma." <laughs> so, uh, well, he called me in for a couple of um, uh, commercial uh, gigs, and then he. Uh, Call me. He said, "I want you to read uh, for the." He explained, um, you know, synopsis of the uh, Vast of Night, and uh, so told me about the character, the World War II uh, veteran, and uh, <clears throat> he's calling in, but um, he wanted the voice to be somewhat uh, racially ambiguous. But through the course of the um, of the uh, uh, dialogue, you would assume that the uh, caller was black until he actually states he was black. And so uh, Andrew Patterson, a you know, great guy, great director, he has a great, great vision of what he uh, wants to see. He called me, he sent me a couple of pages, and I uh, kind of rehearsed it, you know, because I've only had, uh, at that time, just brief training in voice acting. And so I went to the audition thinking I was going to be there like 10, 15 minutes. And uh, I had developed this voice with this uh, maybe like a, a southern, more of a southern style uh, dialect. And he said, no, I'm not thinking that. I'm thinking more conversational. So we kind of sat back and talked about it and worked on it for about a couple of hours that night. And then uh, uh, he called me a few days later and said that you know, I had the gig and we were going to go into the studio that next week. And so... That's how I got into that. Basically, uh, I met him and he was aware of my talent. That's when preparation meets opportunity. I say, <laughs> if I had never, if I had never did that uh, a monologue, he would have never known that I had any ability other than that I look good. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't think. I've ever seen a movie 
where a monologue is being delivered for a black screen that is still somehow super visually riveting. Were you right. expecting this moment to be so like pivotal and so powerful in this movie? Actually, I was terrified because, again, we went into the studio and uh, we, we did this for about six hours. It rained, it thundered, it lightened. And uh, when I left that studio, I was like, what did I just do? I have no idea. But apparently, uh, Andrew Patterson knew exactly what he was doing. He was wearing me down and getting me to a certain what he actually wanted. And then when um, and bear in mind, I didn't know this guy is low key. He, he's not on uh, Facebook. I had no idea he was as great as he was. I knew he was a pleasure to work with on uh, commercials and everything. But I was extremely skeptical. When he showed me the film, uh, initially, it just seemed like it just went to black. And I was like, isn't that going to confuse the audience? And um, uh, are they going to think the, 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 the something happened with the film or and it's only the sound here. And then when I saw it later, uh, more finished product, I saw how he focused in on the uh, radio and, and I, I was listening. I said, you know, Billy is really into it. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, okay, this could work. And, um, I remember going to the, uh, 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 slam dance to see it, to listen to it. And, you know, I'm always skeptical of myself anyway on anything that, that I perform. But I was really listening. I really got into Billy's story. And I was like, Billy was into it. I said, this is going to work. <laughs> and uh, it actually worked. Uh, the, the, the writers really uh, uh, were great with uh, what they did with the dialogue. And, and I just got into this character. You know, my grandfather was a World War II veteran. He was in there briefly. He's not much of a storyteller, but he was this very calm person. So again, he died about uh, 20 years ago. He would have been 102 now. Uh, and so I looked at Billy as if telling a story, if my grandfather would be telling a story. Because we do have some storytellers in my family, my grandmother and my father. And so I just uh, imagined telling that story in uh, my grandfather. We affectionately call him Daddy Joe. <laughs> yeah. When when you're seeing, you know, this for the first time and you're hearing the words, you know, that, that were coming out of your own mouth, you know, like you said, the, the character is very racially ambiguous at first. But as the story is uh -huh. going on, you realize that that these are people that he's talking about that were kind of thrown away by the military because of their race. And it, it it's a pretty bold statement inside of a, a very like contemplative and thought provoking movie. Do, do you right. feel that it was, it, you know, do you feel that that message and that moment, you know, served the purpose that it should serve? Yes, yes, because I believe it's true in the sense, not no, not necessarily racial, but status. Uh, if you have low status, regardless of whether you're in the black community or or uh, the white community, white America, black America, uh, people have a tendency not to uh, take it uh, uh, to be true, you see, what they're saying to be true. 
So you have to kind of be careful in the way that you say certain things. Uh, if you looked at the way Billy uh, was providing and laying out his evidence, he wasn't saying, uh, telling you what to think. He was implying, he was uh, laying it out in, as in um, unresolved questions. This is the evidence. This is what was going on. I, you can go out and figure it out yourself. I'm not telling you uh, what to think. And I think that was the difference between what Billy was saying in his uh, story and uh, Mabel was saying in her story. Mabel was saying, this is what happened. This is what I know uh, to, to be true. I'm just laying out detail by detail of what happened. And it's up to you to go and, and figure, it, figure it out. And I've done that with, if you haven't already read the article, I'm a retired Oklahoma City police uh, lieutenant who had been a detective, and I was also in the military, uh, in the Navy, served aboard the USS Enterprise, where I worked with, uh, on secret, uh, uh, with weaponry. Uh, of course, in the military, you can never confirm nor deny the presence of <laughs> nuclear weapons on the USS Enterprise. But I worked on a, a movement where we were moving uh, secretive uh, weaponry, and it took a long time because of the Russian satellites there, and we didn't want them to uh, know what was going on. And so as far as the secrecy, I had already been exposed to a, a, a lot of secrecy, and I think that's where I got that from, uh, also to put in to the uh, character, real-life uh, situations that I had been exposed to. So, so much of this movie is, is about language, you know, the, the scene that is your monologue and then Mabel's monologue and, you know, the way the, the main characters interact with each other, especially at the beginning of the movie and that really rapid fire, like almost Gilmore Girls style dialogue. Yeah. You, you know, when when you're approaching something that's as as word dense as this, did you ever have moments where you're like, wow, I'm saying a lot. Won't this be boring? <laughs> no, because I, I really got into I got into that character that was really well written again. And um, I, I like I said, I could relate to this this Billy. Okay, there was a, a time when I was <laughs> I gonna laugh. in the early 90s, I was patrolling um, the streets and I saw this bright light. And um, I thought it was our, our uh, helicopter unit. Uh, but when it got to me, it went warp speed towards Tinkerfield Air Force Base, which was going in the south, east in the direction. Well, I've seen Mach uh, uh, 2 or Mach 4 uh, aircraft uh, uh, jets do the sound barrier, and this was nothing like this. This was like a streak of light. I was like, what did I just see? <laughs> Here I am, a, a commissioned police officer. And so, what in the world is that? And I started not to call my lieutenant, So, but I was like, I called my lieutenant, and I said, did anybody else see any uh, bright lights going towards Pinkerfield? Uh, any weird objects? She said, did you see a UFO? And I was like, oh, I don't know what it was, but I've never seen it before. <laughs> You're like, I don't so want to say that to, out loud. <laughs> yeah, I really didn't. And I probably shouldn't have. I probably shouldn't have, but I called her. And, uh, my, and again, this was a female off uh, lieutenant, uh, lieutenant uh, 
Linnell White. I think she winds up retiring. She reached the rank of mayor, major. But so I get back to the police station and they got this life big poster with the Bruce Davis looking up at this uh, <laughs> UFO and everybody was razzing me. <laughs> it was real funny, but we, uh, by the time of the end of the shift, uh, national news had reported that about uh, two to 3,000 people had seen this weird object. And this had ranged from Kansas City all the way to Oklahoma City. Oh, wow. And I said, okay. Well, I was saved, but I was saved. <laughs> people saw that. But still, it was something unknown to me. And so I'm still able to put that in my mind and say, hey, is there something out there that we really don't know about? <laughs> I think it is. I'm not sure whether it's from another uh, planet or whatever, but there are a lot of things that are going on that the average person uh, doesn't necessarily know what's going on. And if you don't have any, even when, yeah, and even when you're on, uh, like we had this movement, we had a cold, we had a a movement uh, that we we knew the drill was going down. I'm just going to call it blind moose. And if you heard that come over the the, uh, 1MC on the USS Enterprise, blind moose movement. Blind Moose. Everybody went and mobilized. Everybody was on that team. They knew what Blind Moose meant. None of it. And it was probably maybe a couple hundred people on that movement. And um, and I said we had close to 3,000, just ship's company, 3,000 uh, sailors on there, plus air wing. You had another couple of thousand. So <laughs> everybody on that ship, 200 people would know what Blue Moose meant. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and so we make that we make that move and we go through like there was an accident with a nuclear weapon and we go through the drills and everything. And uh, but even within the blue moose uh, clearance, everybody in that clearance didn't know everything that was going on. You see what I'm saying? So you had to have a higher clearance, another code to be accepted into another uh, uh, layer of that uh, perimeter when you were going through the drill. So uh, it was very secretive, <laughs> especially when you're developing stuff with the military. It's it's interesting that there's like layers and layers to the secrecy, and we just, we're just completely yeah. unaware of it most of the time. Yeah, yeah. And, and for the most part, it's like that with the uh, police department, too, even with counterterrorism. As I made my way through the ranks, I was exposed uh, to more... Uh, higher level stuff because you know once you go from uh, sergeant to lieutenant, you're a part of the command group, and then when you get up to uh, major, major deputy chief and chief, that's the command staff. Well, the command staff have they have more access to more counterterrorism and intelligence information than uh, the lieutenants and captains who are part of the command group. The lieutenant commanders have more. Uh, than with the uh, sergeants, staff sergeants, and master sergeants here. And so it, it, a lot of times it's hard not to, <laughs> especially when you know what's going on with the world. You know, like I, I can see, uh, I, you know, because I'm retired now, but I can still get some, some information. So I know what's going on, even with, with the protests. I know the terrorists, terrorists that are planning to do this and are planning to do that. And the average person doesn't know, but they can't come out and tell you what's actually going on in the world. You know what I'm saying? Right. Else everybody would, it would be mass hysteria. 
<laughs> oh man, we got pretty close to that already anyway. So <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so so you're of an age and live in a part of the country that that I feel is probably a little more familiar with like AM radio and that kind of overnight, you know, space alien ghost show like coast to coast. You know, I have I have memories of laying, you know, in my bedroom and just listening to truckers call in about the UFO they just saw on the highway and that sort of thing. Do you have an experience like that that kind of allowed you to that you could kind of lean into while while doing this role? Well, just that that experience that I had um, on the uh, police department, like mm-hmm. I said, I had never even thought about it extraterrestrial or ufos and you know i'm, I'm just like you I, I i saw it on tv and everything i've never just called these people uh liars and everything but i that was kind of i wait was, was it a satellite or was it <laughs> i'm still like was that a satellite no i mean i'm mean, we talking about wow uh I've seen satellite. I've, why would a satellite be going, and then why would would it be going towards the a direct beeline towards the uh, the Air Force Base? <laughs> so, uh, no, that was the only only time. I, but it kind of opened my mind up to like, wow, okay. Well, but even though a thousand, two or three thousand people saw it, it still was not satisfying to me that that's what it was even if it was something covert that the the Air Force base had been working on, which it could have been. So, you know, you're on this movie, you've, you've, you know, created like this scene that's just like intense and riveting. And now it's on Amazon Prime and there's a lot of people watching it. Prime actually pushed this movie pretty big, at least from what I saw. You know, on on right. my my end, what has that experience been like to just you know kind of be a part of something that is getting such positive feedback? It feels great. You know, this was um, performing had always been my first uh, my passion. Even though I'd been a police officer, I'd never stopped uh, performing as far as acting, dancing, and and singing. You know, and uh, Actually, uh, I went up to Toronto to the TIFF, and right before uh, the premiere at Midnight Madness, uh, Amazon picked it up. And, you know, uh, Andrew said, hey, meet us over here. So Amazon picked us up, and and SUVs uh, took us to the, um, took us out to eat. We had a nice uh, dinner with a table full of people. Uh, those uh, two leads, uh, Sierra McCormick and uh, Jake, they had their um, their agents there and their publicists there, and and Andrew had his publicist there, and I'm and I'm there. I'm just <laughs> I was just sucking it up. It's just, even if this is the only time I ever hit, hey, I can always say, hey, I was a part of this. This is this is beautiful. Then they took us from. Uh, dinner to the red carpet event. I was like, oh my God, the red carpet event. I had, and they interviewed me. And if you go look at you could probably go online and see that interview. I probably look like a deer caught in headlights because I had no <laughs> idea I was going to a red. I, I was dressed kind of decent. You know, I would have, I would dress 
kind of did some just in case somebody, you know, I don't usually go around dressing <laughs> like a like a hobo or anything like that. But I had a nice uh, jacket on and everything, and uh, and it was just a uh, hey. I was like, wow, I was satisfied with that. That's and cool. I think Andrew, too, he's like I said, Andrew Patterson is such um, a brilliant person all the way around in his mind. And, but he's not this person that, that seeks attention, seeks approval. And, and he, like I say, he could have released this movie, tried to release this movie even earlier. You know, I, I guess he had been turned down, uh, he said, 18 times. But um, you would have never known. Uh, that he had been turned down uh, 18 times. And then again, uh, when we first did this, I was like, a year afterwards, I was like, are you going to use it? Because I, I hadn't even, I knew it was on IMDb, but I had never added my name to it or anything. And it just, and he said, I said, are you going to use that? Because I might want to use part of that for a, a, a demo clip. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I still don't have a voice clip. I have, I have uh, film clips. And uh, I don't have much experience with voice acting. I got most of my experience right there in the studio with with him. I had one class at the Actor Factory in Norman uh, with a guy named Jeff Noakes, uh, who teaches uh, voiceover. And he was really impressed with me. But I didn't get to the point where I was doing uh, character acting or anything because I was actually, I had two films to film, so I missed half his class. And so... After this um, uh, started getting real popular in the uh, in the uh, festival circuit, I started getting calls for animation and all of it. <laughs> and I'm sitting in these <laughs> auditions. I'm telling you, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> so one of these days, I'm 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 going to really go back in and and, and set up a, a studio to do voiceover. Uh, stuff too because I, I like that as well. You know, it's it's really interesting. You know, with you know with your background as a police officer, but still maintaining like uh, your your love of theater and like you said, singing and acting and those sorts of things, and then talking to Gail, who's also you know a lifelong actress and you know participant in the arts while also being an educator it, it, it's really right. interesting that that mm -hmm. the director found these people with real life experience besides mm -hmm. just being actors to be those yeah. voices of like wisdom within the movie right. do you think that was intentional right. yeah i think he he actually he understood i think some is soderbergh said that a director uh, has to know three things and has to know as a grasp of camera work, two, acting, and three, dialogue. And he says, very rarely do you see a director who has all three, and Andrew Patterson has all three. Mm -hmm. And he's the type of person he can see tell them whether they're even acting. He may talk somebody into, hey, because I want to use you on my film. And so even the casting, um, he's very involved in, in the casting uh, of his characters as well. He's there, and I've heard him talk about certain things. I think he initially wanted to cast this particular um, film in Oklahoma, and uh, uh, he notified a, 
um, local uh, casting director. But according to him, he said he got no callback. Nobody responded to him. And that could be because his status. He, he's not on Facebook. He's not on anything else. And, but you know how the business is. Huh? You know, yeah. Sometimes you get called back. Sometimes you don't. So uh, he went ahead and cast it out of uh, out of uh, Dallas. But even with that casting director, uh, he may not have been totally satisfied and wanted more. And so he went ahead and found. His actions. It may be. It may not be that it's the perfect audition. When when you see talent, even if it's raw, you have a tendency to hook onto it. And I've been in that situation before too. You know, I may be raw, or whatever. Hey, I, this this guy has something, or this female has something that I want that I see in my mind, and I can get that person there. That's the type of director that he is. I don't care how long it takes. I know I can get that guy or or that girl to the point where more of my vision is. That's, that's amazing. You're, you're the third actor that we've talked to from the movie. Uh, and mm-hmm. all of you have nothing but high praise for him. And I, I'm, I'm really hoping to score that interview because he sounds like a very fascinating and interesting person. He really is. He really is. Like so, I say, go ahead. like I say, he, he found me as a raw talent, stood up. Like I say, I don't care if I'm performing in front of one person or 50 people. I'm going to give my 100%. And in that audition that had nothing to do with acting, it was just a um, uh, still shoot. He just saw the one credit on there. And he, and he remembered. And he remembered exactly everything I said. And like, I'm a storyteller, too. I got hundreds of stories. And uh, I've heard him repeat my stories back and he didn't embellish it or anything. Remember when you said this? I said, yeah, I did say that. (laughs) So he's got a, his mind works in that certain uh, uh, realm. And and I understand that's an intelligence, you know, because my degree is in psychology and um, I have, um, I didn't know that um, because you have uh, kinesthetics type, you have, uh, verbal uh, and audio type uh, learning. And I didn't know I was so auditory. And I had wished I had known that during high school. And um, because I, I was uh, working a job at uh, the Bone and Joint, and this was a hospital. And there was a sign in the elevator when I was taking the trash up every day that says Certificate of Inspection Issued by the City of Oklahoma City Community Development Department Code Enforcement Division. This elevator has been inspected on date shown by the city elevator inspector for BOCA basic building code article ANSI 17 and 1. That was in 1981 when I memorized that. And then I said, and I was reading it out loud. And then, so I was at OSU Tech at the particular uh, time because I had left Langston. I was had taken a football scholarship. And so I started taping uh, my notes and listening to them. And I would memorize the notes and then break it down and study. So I'm an extremely auditory type person. And so there's a, there's a, a visual type people. They have to see everything. Uh, I had a boss that I worked for. He had everything on his walls, uh, pictures, graphs, and everything. And if I was, I could talk to him till he was blue in the face. 
But if I didn't have diagrams to show him, he wouldn't understand because he was extremely visual. Yeah, but some of us, again, we, we, we learn, we may have a dominant learning pattern, and mine was uh, actually auditory. But I think um, uh, Andrew, he, had, he can hear, he, has, he can hear things auditory, he can see things, uh, he's visual, and then also hands-on, he's kinesthetic. I think he's talented in all three of those intelligence. That's awesome. Well, like I said, I'm I'm really hoping to get the opportunity to speak with him too. So, uh, yeah, Bruce, yeah. Bruce, as we're nearing the end uh, of the interview, you know, uh, looking at your IMDb, it looks like you have some things coming up, which is awesome because there's been a lot of people that we've talked to in the last few months that don't. Uh, what are some things that we can look forward to from you? Uh, so, of course, there's some there's a movie Rattlesnake that's on right now on Netflix. And uh, I also have some um, uh, smaller parts in, in a few of those movies all on IMDb. I'm starting to get a lot. Just filmed last last month. I can't even think of Agnes apart there. But um, actually with uh, Andrew Patterson, and, and I'm thinking I heard him say, you know, he did a, another low-budget movie while he was waiting. And it was called uh, The Rivals of Amziah King. And uh, I play, and it's about a beekeeper. And man, you know, I play Amaziah King in that particular movie. And it was beautifully written. And um, I got to uh, work with bees. And uh, man, I worked in honey plants. And it was just beautiful. And this guy is really nice. Amaziah is a really nice guy. And um, I guess what he, he, it's classified as a revenge thriller. But what he's saying is that there's another script that he has, and uh, he's probably going to get caught up in between. Should I release the uh, low-budget movie first, or should I go ahead and go with the uh, high budget? Because you know people are throwing money at it right now. And I was, <laughs> if I was, everybody was waiting on me. I will put my best foot forward next. <laughs> even though, I, even though I think this film, The Rivals of Amazon King, you probably won't. You could Google it, and uh, but it's not on IMDb right now. And, uh, mm-hmm. But that's just the type of person he is, just a easygoing, uh, really nice guy. I'd have to think. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot of bit parts that I'm in right now, but I'm starting to get some uh, more media roles. That's awesome. And just continue to follow me on uh, IMDb. And speaking of following you, is there any kind of social media that our fans can uh, like you on so that they can keep track of what you have coming up? Yeah, I'm on. Uh, I, I I have a Facebook page uh, under Bruce Davis, and also um, uh, Twitter. Uh, I, I think it's uh, Bruce Davis at CSSKL91. Uh, I'm on Instagram as Bruce Davis. And yeah, those are the three platforms that I'm on Facebook, Instagram, and uh, Twitter. That's awesome. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for your time, man. Your, your participation in this movie, like is one of the things that really like drew me into this movie, like the scene of the conversation that, that occurs with you over the phone is, is truly riveting and is really a testament to your skill as a voice actor. 
Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> and thanks for giving the interview. I no. mean, it, it really means a lot to me and in my career. Uh, no worries, Bruce. Thanks so much for being on the show. Okay, thanks, Gabe. Take uh, it easy. And have, a nice, have a nice 4th of July. Oh, I will. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Thinking Outside the Long Walks podcast. Join us on Facebook and Twitter to get behind-the-scenes information for exclusive content and to be notified when new episodes are available. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Thinking Outside the Long Box podcast, Baron Space Productions, its partners, or affiliates. The Thinking Outside the Long Box podcast is made available by its creators, Juan, John, and Gabe. The podcast is edited and produced by Juan, and Albie is the co-executive producer. The Thinking Outside the Long Box podcast is a barren space production. <laughs>